0: Word Up with Danny Katz. I am your host, Danny Katz. I am an author, journalist, and a quantum languaging coach and consultant. What that means is that I teach people how language programs consciousness, how language programs reality at large, and how to transform reality and evolve our consciousness with language. I've also been known to cultivate and share an opinion or two or 12 about culture and consciousness and how they are evolving, devolving, and being manipulated by the powers that were. Here at Word Up, we are devoted to fostering critical thinking while supporting you in becoming your most authentic, empowered, liberated, realized, amazing version of yourself. Our every show aims to expand your consciousness, raise your frequency, sharpen your critical thinking skills, and make you giggle (laughs) and think. Given the radical uptick in censorship over the past few years, combined with the complete co-opting slash decimation of my own personal industry, journalism, I started WordUp to have a free speech-friendly platform in which to engage exploratory, solutions-based conversations with visionaries, mystics, original thinkers, and rebel badasses who are helping to make the world more wonderful. The first half of my interviews run between 30 to 90 minutes and are always posted here for free public listening. The second halves are reserved for paid supporters on my Patreon and my locals platforms where for as little as $5 a month you can access all of my second half conversations along with oodles of other bonus content and opportunities to drop in with me, to drop in with our High Vibe Tribe. and. And lots of other awesome things. In addition to interviews, WordUp also features quantum languaging upgrades, planetary service announcements, and propaganda analysis, which I call Spot the Propaganda. Thank you so much for tuning in and for sharing your sacred attention with me and our high vibe tribe of change makers. Be sure to click that subscribe button so you can stay abreast of our every episode. Thank you for also clicking the like button, for sharing far and wide, and for leaving some kind words as a review as you are authentically inspired. As well, if you are gleaning any value whatsoever from these shows, consider supporting me on Locals, and or patreon and as you are wanting to learn more about my quantum language coaching and consulting services or nab copies of my books find me on dannycatz.com as well as on quantum okay i think that's it for our housekeeping buckle up and prepare to enjoy this episode of word up with danny katz hello superstars Welcome back to another episode of Word Up with Danny Katz. Today, I am joined by my dear, dear friend, psychedelic scholar, author, editor, Robert Forte. I so enjoy talking to Robert. He's definitely a Word Up podcast favorite. And I wanted to have him on to dive into the recent... um, The recent drama around RFK Jr. and the ongoing Kennedy legacy, Robert um, Forte, my guest, actually knows RFK personally. So he brings a really interesting perspective to this unfolding campaign and story. We also get into um, some of the uh, new age ops, um, that go way, way back. Uh, Robert, Robert's tracing them back to the Jesus myth. And we do get in a little bit to the Malibu fires to, excuse me, not the Malibu fires, the Maui fires. And, um, this kind of preponderance of wildfires that we've seen erupting throughout the years. So before we dive into today's super awesome conversation, I'm reminding you to click that subscribe button. Thank you so much. It means the world for liking, sharing and commenting The all of those things go a long way in convincing the algorithm to give me more reach, um, which allows me to keep going. I'm also going to invite you to sign up for my newsletter at dannycats.com. I have lots of exciting things brewing, including live events, including new offerings like my pop propaganda class, which really is happening next month. Um, so if you're wanting in on that, the best way to track me is through my mailing list. Um, You can sign up at dannykatz.com and at quantumlanguaging.com. I never, never share your email address with anyone. I don't send out emails that often only when there's real deal value um, and very relevant announcements for me to share with you. Also reminding you that the way this show is structured the first half is free for all of my listeners on all the podcast platforms free for everyone watching on locals and on youtube the second half is reserved for my paying supporters on locals and on patreon so for as little as five dollars a month you get access to all of my second half conversations plus lots of bonus content um, first dibs on courses On webinars, special discounts, et cetera, et cetera. Um, If you are interested in tracking the podcast that I do with Emily Moyer called Words with Danny and Emily, that is available for my $10 and up subscribers. So I'm just giving you a lay of the land. I honor you um, finagling your finances in a way that's most aligned for you and just wanting you to know the options. I do not have as of yet any podcast sponsors. I'm also very deliberately not monetizing on YouTube. Um, there are certain enslavement constraints that don't feel aligned for me to do that. I don't want to be told what I can and cannot say. So this podcast is a real deal labor of love um, and the only financial compensation that I'm getting from this is whatever you are choosing to give me through Patreon and or locals. So as it's feeling aligned and as you're wanting access to more of my content, support me at either one or both of those platforms links below. That does it for housekeeping. Thank you for tuning in. And buckle up, prepare to enjoy my conversation with Robert Forte. So one thing that I thought would be interesting is like, it feels like it's a generational thing. The like, the weird, I don't want to say weird, but like, the adoration of the Kennedys. I feel like you're the generation that got that program, mind control, mythology, whatever that we don't have, Gen X and below doesn't have. So I thought that could be an interesting place to go. Um, I got a a download from a friend on on the maps conference and some weird things that he observed there that I thought we could talk about. I know, creepy. Um, but what's super alive for you?
1: I like all those things. I like, um, you know, I like current events. Kennedy is certainly a current event, and um, you know, politics is always important. Like the fires in Maui. Wow, that's um, you know, that's um, it's it's so hard for us to imagine that we're in this inconceivable kind of warfare. Like half the, I don't know what the pop, the percentage of the population is that some people are like, it's immediately obvious that that's directed energy weapon or some sinister form of warfare. But now that was kind of bugging me this morning. Let's but then I looked at Snopes that. and they said, no, no, no.
0: Oh, well then, okay. you know, then you're a crazy um, conspiracy theorist because Snopes is always right. <laughs>
1: Yeah, to put me at ease and I was able to take a nap. <clears throat> but, you know, I was going to put on my Facebook page today the difference between the the, um, the research and the information that argues for the directed energy weaponry, the patents, the science, the technology, the history, the examples, the photographic evidence, the testimony from people. I was a direct I directly experienced it. You know, the chemtrails came in and the sky smelled like burnt plastic and horizontal lightning and fires, fires so hot, you know, it melted my Mercedes and, you know, it's, it's, uh <clears throat> when I was a little kid, I used to think how boring, you know, I'm growing up here, we got nothing. We got little league baseball and like other years we had Cowboys and Indians and, you know, wars or knights and maidens and stuff. We got little league baseball, nothing. But here we are right in the middle of a period where it's like the most intense and interesting and diabolical and potentially liberating time of human history. That's kind of how I'm seeing it. Are you frozen? Are you just, um, oh, darn, you are frozen. Well, you look beautiful frozen like that, but come on, unfreeze
0: saying we're both frozen can you hear me now i can it's gonna be this kind of day um so i also think it would be interesting to go over because this keeps coming up um the the origination of the kind of new age psychedelic op of like don't take any action don't be political just um just deal with yourself in your mind and, and do nothing outside. I think like getting to the root of that would be really helpful given that that's being regurgitated now. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah. Much more in a much more. Yes, it does. Okay. In a much more sophisticated way now. And this is, you know, that, that email that I sent to us, that's why, that's the book I want to do the collection of perspectives. Yeah. And so the person I think that really can articulate this the best, the beginning, what well, I'm picking as the beginning, is the Christ op, the invention of Jesus Christ, as the first um, psychological operation psyop in our in our Western history.
0: Okay, I'm okay. so excited. Are you there? Yeah. This is awesome. Um, All right, well, where do you want to start? Of everything we have on our table, I'll I'll record the intro after just to maximize our time together. Um, And what feels the juiciest for us to start today?
1: Well, I like it so far. I think it's all pretty juicy. I wish that you were recording now because. I um, I have been. We, we. uh, okay, good. So. um,
0: Well, let's go with Jesus Christ uh, as the first PSYOP that's the, i mean that's so juicy and that takes us to the origin point
1: okay and it also enables us to kind of sketch out the book we're going to do on this yes. with um the different voices yeah. and so i really this is not my for this is not my expertise I'm I'm a historian of religion, but not that religion. Yep. And so, really, the man who I defer, the man who I defer to, who's really been my first. You know, I've read a lot of books on the history of Christianity. I was raised Catholic. Um, I loved Jesus when I was a little boy. What a terrific fellow! Love your neighbor. You know, um, the Good Samaritan. Turn the other cheek. I always had to do that with my sister when she would smack me. And just like an all who doesn't love Jesus. What a terrific character. And then and then you, you know, you grow up a little bit and you realize that um, Jesus is like Santa Claus. They just make these characters up in order to control people. Yeah. So Joseph Atwill, who is a very diligent scholar and a very dear friend of mine, and an extraordinary guy who you ought to have on your show. We're gonna we're gonna have this side up. So Joe Atwill, here's a nod to you, my friend. Yep. Um, Of the many books that I've read in the history of religion on the historicity of Jesus, right? That's a graduate school word that means just like the legitimacy. Does this person, did this person really exist? Yep. And and well, you know, um, there's no evidence that Jesus ever existed. Um, He came into being through the Gospels uh, Mm -hmm. in the beginning of the Roman era. And Joe, with his um, scholarship and keen historical sense, was able to decipher the Gospels and point out that the Gospels are sort of a a plagiarized document from an earlier set of documents and stories that created this Jesus character because there were, I'm not going to get all the details, these are just the broad strokes, because they they wanted they were they were beginning to be dissenters to the Roman empire people were getting a little pissed off that they were working so hard and giving all their taxes to caesar and he was spending them all to brutalize the world and people started getting a little upset about this imagine that and so they made up a character they made up an archetype to distract these people and say No, 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 no. Don't don't worry about all that because your your um, status as the downtrodden and suffering ones, that's good for you because your real reward is going to be in heaven. So render unto Caesar what is Caesar's and turn the other cheek and love thy neighbor as thyself. And don't worry about all that real world stuff, because we got that handled. And it's just gonna drive you crazy anyway. You wanna go to heaven where your rewards are? Here's the way to go. Follow that guy. Mm-hmm. He's the art. And they, you know, could play on the archetypes and make a very attractive character. They had these messiah myths and expectations in these sects. And so um they created a character. And it turned in, and that's how the Roman Empire, this brutal. Roman Empire turned, became a kinder, gentler, see the first time this kinder, gentler new world order Mm -hmm. comes up, right? Your listeners probably know that phrase. That was George Bush on September 11th, 1991, proclaiming, proclaiming the, the conquest of the Third Reich. We're a kinder, gentler new world order now. Well, that was the first, that was the first version of it. The Roman Empire becomes the Christian Empire, and you know I was in a, I was in a museum last night, um, the the Gardner Museum, a really cool place in Boston, and um, there's you know Renaissance and all these pictures, photographs of baby Jesus. And, you know that's that was the prop. They didn't have the internet or the New York Times back then, so they just hired the best artists to hammer this archetype into everybody's everybody's heart and soul while they raped and pillaged the countryside of any kind of conflicting conspiracy theorists that were doing their own thing. And that's how, that's how this you know, Western period began 2000 you know, or so years ago, whatever it was. And, um, <clears throat> and it was very effective. And that was, that's like chapter one in the um, throw fairy dust in their eyes archetype. And they've gotten better and better at it, so how's that
0: it's good i have so I have multiple conflicting thoughts going at once because I know that well, I don't know anything, but I sense that part of what we're living out now has been this ongoing beef between like you know to to just use kind of kindergarten shorthand, this like Catholic church Jacobin thing that goes way back to like the um the notion that the templars had this kind of paper trail of the fact that Jesus was never crucified on the cross and that he and Mary got married and had kids and that the catholic church didn't want that to come out so there were the crusades and all these other pieces but now i'm reading this book saying that the whole king david solomon story was stolen from the egyptians hundreds and hundreds of years before which has me realizing like nothing that i've been taught is true and then the, the the sort of like conspiracies or alt narratives that have come in and they're like you know saying well this is really true that those aren't true either so it just feels like I mean, was that the first PSYOP was like the fact that we're allegedly humans and not some sort of like alien hybrids living on a prison planet was that the first PSYOP, you know, but I can see that being the one that that um, folded in the acquiescence and like don't do anything don't exercise your agency don't develop your own relationship with the divine that's what we're here for. But you know, like right now, it's all just so jumbled in my head.
1: Yeah, that's a good sign. As um, (laughs) one of the other false prophets of our new age, (laughs) who's a character who was um, a complete fraud to my mind, but it had some great lines. And one of those great lines was um, Confusion ought to be regarded as extremely good news.
0: I mean, so, I see I see um, that because for the past few years, I've seen the value of the I don't know when so many of us are trying to like lock into something where the yeah. only truth right now is like none of us really know. But I'm curious to know before you take us to the next point, how, how is Chungpa a fraud?
1: Well, to my mind, because I'm just sort of a, um, I like the, I'm a, I'm a, Kind of karma yogi. And I like for my spiritual teachers to embody the wisdom that they impart.
0: Right. And,
1: and when a guy like Trungpa, the whole, the whole Lama Rinpoche, you know, that's another one. I, I kind of got into Buddhism for a while. The whole like reincarnated Lama it just so happens that so many of those guys come from the wealthiest families and there's just all this nepotism. Right. And, and Trungpa, you know, you look at the legacy of Trungpa and the, you know, the, the the um you know I'm just kind of puritanical sexually and his you know his womanizing and his affairs and the the, the legacy like what's in this guy's wake you know right. there's Naropa, there's Naropa that's one of these places that's you know kind of like a a New Age fountain right of, you know there there will be there are a lot of good strands that's one that's one of the things that makes this critique difficult right the critique of psychedelic drugs the critique of Christianity. Because there's a lot of good that comes out of these psyops. Right. So by, by by issuing this criticism or this observation, I'm not saying that Naropa is totally like med- all meditation is bad. I'm just saying that Trumpa as a character, to to me, you know, some people say, oh no, he was a great teacher, but to me, he was he was a charlatan because he was he wasn't really he left a lot of harm and and. Um, you know, a kind of violence and sexual abuse and, you know, addiction to, uh, to uh, you know, harmful drugs and Coke and alcohol. And his, his um, the, the people that followed him the same way, it's just like, ah, that's not the, that's not the path that I wanna to follow. To take another great quote of another charlatan, <laughs> um, the Carlos Castaneda, Don Juan stuff, you know, a path has to have a heart. That yeah. means it has to be honest. It has to be integrated. It has to be, you know, has to be the, the people have to shine and be authentic. And that that's, you know, I mean, for some people, sure. You want to go for that left-hand Tantra stuff and all the nastiest, you know, stuff, you know, but you just got to integrate it and that's part of your awakening. Yeah. 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 I don't buy it. That's just me.
0: Well, I'm glad you brought up both of these things and we'll circle back around to like how this kind of, you know, apathy and do nothing thing swirled its way into the psychedelic movement and the new age movements. But the two things that I want to touch on right now are, I appreciate you saying it's not to say that there's no good that comes out of Naropa or the Buddhist lineage. And I think that's one of the biggest issues I see with those of us who are continuing to wake up to the various tendrils of the sham show is like, you can't throw the baby out with the bathwater, you know, and and I know we're going to get into RFK Jr. But it's like, you know, it's complicated. I don't think because there's a blind spot somewhere or a place where someone's playing a puppet, it discounts the validity of all of their work, which is one of my biggest fears with what's going on with RFK Jr. right now. But sticking with the Rinpoches and the Llamas, I know you're going to know more about this than I will, but, you know, we've all inherited this kind of default um, Pedestaling of the Dalai Lama and the Rinpoche's and that whole lineage. And as I understand it, and definitely correct me if I'm wrong, but that that lineage came out of Genghis Khan, a genocidal murderous conqueror who, when he first took power, murdered all of the Tibetan shamans and ordered that all of their um, knowledge be destroyed. So where along the way did we start to worship the Dalai Lama do you know what I'm saying? Like, where did that? You know
1: happen? what you're saying, but I have, but I, I have to warn you. You know, Genghis Khan raped so many women. Like, there are more descendants of Genghis Khan in the world today. You just have to be really careful what you say about that. Their great, 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 great grandpa. But yeah, no, it's it's like, it's crazy and and funny. You know, I I just think that we have to have a real sense of humor about it. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, the history of, because I, I felt for the Dalai Lama. You know, I met the guy. I hung out with him for an afternoon.
0: What was your experience? What was his energy like? What was your vibe like?
1: I'll tell you this story because it was really one of the most interesting first moments on my path. I was just, um, you know, like 22 years old. And I had decided that I was taking an interest in Buddhism. And that the way I learned from my teachers at the University of Columbia, that the way you really study Buddhism, it's not books. It's about a systematic way of observing your mind it's mm-hmm. a psychology and so i went on a um, three-month vipassana course in 1979 at the barry at the insight meditation society in barry massachusetts i don't know anything about this stuff yet i just had a, an influential teacher who i adored and he said you know this is a way to go so i went to do this three months I, I, so after the first like four weeks <clears throat> they where it's very you know it's like a traditional you know you wake up at 4:30 in the morning and you sit for 45 minutes and then you walk for 40 and you're totally silent you're not looking at anybody you only have you're meditating all day long you have a a conversation with the teacher every for just like 8 or 10 minutes to j- anyway after about 4 weeks they they tell us that we are um very lucky and anybody that wants to break the retreat we are going to be visited by His Holiness, the Dalai Lama of Tibet. It was his very first visit to the United States, to the Western world, um, 1979. And he was on his way from um, Amherst, Massachusetts, to Harvard. And our place, which was the first Theravadan Buddhist meditation center in the U.S., he wanted to visit it. And for those of us that wanted to come out and spend the afternoon with the Dalai Lama, I thought, cool. You know, I thought, I didn't, I just knew a little bit like, okay, this is the guy who's like the Pope to Buddhists. And he's, and I knew about the, he was reincarnated. And, you know, and I thought, wow, this is cool. This is my first chance to meet a supernatural being. So I I am one of the like 40 or 50 people that come into the other hall. And here he is. And he gives this you know, shows us films of the Tibetan um, escape, these grainy black and white films. And it was very, very cool. I was just starting to get interested in psychedelics at this point in my life. And um, he gives a talk on wisdom and compassion. And I thought that was beautiful how he spoke. Someone asked, I asked him how you, um, I thought I was gonna ask him a trick question. So after this talk about wisdom and compassion um how do you feel about the communist chinese after they've invaded your country and killed your families and and uh, raped your women and he said um he said well i have nothing but um compassion and gratitude for the communist chinese because it's easy to practice wisdom and compassion when you're sitting in a nice comfortable monastery but when um, there's a war going on, it, that's, um, it's a whole nother thing. So he wanted, he was expressed, and I thought that was kind of cool. And then um, and then it's time for him to go, excuse me. It's time for him to go, and I'm standing right next to him. He's got a couple limos, it's a rainy October day. I'm literally right next to him. I'm here. He's right here. And I'm and I'm checking him out. And I'm saying, OK, so he's a supernatural being like what's so special about this guy. And I look at him and on his on his left, on his left arm, on his shoulder, his exposed shoulder, he has these vaccination scars. Mm-hmm. And I thought my first little thought was, again, I've been silent for the previous 30 days. And my mind's gone. Sorry about that. And um, and I see these vaccination marks and I think, huh, gets vaccinated. Like he gets sick. Like what's so supernatural about that? He's just like a, he's just a human being, just a person. And then I look at his eyes and he's got really thick glasses. And I thought, he doesn't even have a good eyesight. Like what's so special? Like <laughs> there's nothing supernatural about him. And I think, no, he's just a human being. And I'm just trying to like, vibe into this is like, what's magic? Like Jesus fell away, Santa Claus. And now I got the Dalai Lama, like, who is this guy? Like, no, he's just, he's just a human being. And so, and then suddenly we didn't have this word in our language back then, but it was like a download. And I, and I just like my head started just filled with this uh, Buddhist theology, just like a, a transmission it was what, I think it was what they call a transmission. And suddenly I just got this whole thing about what Buddhism wasn't about supernatural. Buddhism was about presence. And there was like this reverberation. I thought, no, he's just a human being. And then this thing came in like very human being. And it's not about going for supernaturalism. It's about, you know, being present in the here and now and this whole, this like download. It was the coolest thing. And I was just like, whoa, what the fuck? And then just as, then it ended and I'm sitting there and he turns and he looks at me right in the eye and he just kind of nods like, did you get that? And it was, it sort of blew the whole thing because it was supernatural how he did that, how that happened. And then he just kind of like, gave me a little smile and waved his hand and he got off in his limo and drove away. And that kind of stayed with me for a long time. And I felt like special because I got a a hit from the Dalai Lama like that. And um, so ever since then, although I was kind of um, confused and a little put off by all the pomp and circumstance and all the gold and hierarchical bullshit of and, and sexism of the and the other, you know, I did like. Cross paths with Sokiul Rinpoche who was another Tibetan teacher, who, you know, who couldn't keep his pants on, and and I I was put off by the Tibetan stuff, all the glitter, but uh, that was a cool thing for me,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and and then I did a few other empowerments with people, but you know, I just it didn't really resonate. the t- the the dar- the teaching of the Buddha, Theravada, and basic four noble truths and uh, eightfold path. That still is to me. Um, the most common sense way to reconnect with yourself and become free. And that's kind of an answer to what we'd said earlier in this thing, like when you study the history of religion and you keep realizing that all these texts and the history of religion is like so fraught with propaganda and manipulation and deceit, like how do you figure anything out? Well, me, after all these years, you don't try to figure it out by looking at that stuff. It's like, you don't get reality by reading the newspaper. You get, re- you be, I think my like temperament or methodology is phenomenology. You study phenomena and that stuff that happened two or 3,000 years ago, or even 50 years ago, we don't really have access to that data. Well, the only data that we really have access to is how we process our information ourselves and who we are. but. I'm kind of wondering, but
0: it's it's interesting. And I know that you've had your Dalai Lama bubble burst, but then you had a a very real experience of his power, which I find interesting just because of the paradox of it all. Like I was involved in a Mahayana Buddhist uh, community for years and the issues that I had with it, I loved the teachings, but The issues that I had were when we would do the weekend workshops or retreats, the music. And I was like, this is so ungodly and demonic, like there's no melody. This is just like this a melodic, like horrible sounding noise. Like, how is this close to God? Like, it was just weird to me how the sounds could be so God awful. And then we would have Dharma talks every Wednesday and every Wednesday I would get in trouble for pointing my feet at the Buddha. And every time I was like, the Buddha doesn't give a shit. And actually the Buddha would side with me because you're putting a statue of him on a pedestal and trying to like micromanage my posture for some like weird kind of um, theater. But after I left the Mahayana tradition, because I'm like, it's too many rules and hierarchy and I don't really vibe with that. I noticed in my psychedelic experiences, the visuals were always Tibetan. You know, it was there was a through line there. And then in terms of my attraction to the gene keys, that being a terma that came through the bomb, the Tibetan shaman, like I really feel that connection to it. So I've had my own kind of like push pull with Tibetan Buddhism not nearly as close as, as yours. But one thing that I did hear you say, which I hear coming up over and over and over again in all spiritual traditions is he couldn't keep his pants on. And I wonder if we're not expecting too much of human beings who are all programmed with a primal biological imperative that we think that these people, because they hold a lot of spiritual knowledge, because the Dalai Lama could perhaps read your mind and deliver, you know, a transmission through the ethers, but we expect people to not have this primal push pull that all men and women have. And I feel like we drive ourselves crazy by expecting people because they have so much spiritual knowledge that they've transcended a primal biology that we've seen time and time again, no one's transcended.
1: Yeah. Well, I hear you. Um, I'm not, I'm not um, that whole, the sexuality thing is a powerful, that's a whole another conversation, but you know, uh, there, there are precepts that you take, you know, it's not like you, you, you have to be celibate. In Buddhism, it's that you refrain from sex that is harmful or manipulative or power-oriented. You know, you can still be a lover, and I'm not. I'm not faulting um, sokial or Trungpa for being sexual beings. I'm criticizing them for being liars and hypocrites and saying, "Well, you should do this," but I can, you know, fuck your wife behind your back, and you know, it's, it's the illicit sexuality. Um, Same thing with drugs. It's not like you shouldn't take drugs. You could, you know, take drugs mindfully. It's not the precept isn't don't take intoxicants. It's don't take intoxicants to the point of heedlessness or intoxicants that cloud the mind. Right. And, um, you know, it's like that.
0: That makes sense. It's like, at least walk your talk, or at least be more honest with how you're engaging your sexuality, how you're engaging certain intoxicants. That totally makes sense. Sure. Yeah. So yeah. how did we get from G- the story of Christ being the first PSYOP to, and I know that Jay Stevens told me about this specific event in San Francisco or or Berkeley in the late 60s, where he was shocked to see Tim Leary and some other folks again preaching this. No, don't take action. Don't be political. Just work on your mind. And so where do we see that in a community that has. You know, ostensibly rejected that formalized religion, but they're still using the same strategies to pacify the people.
1: Well, um, <clears throat> the, the oligarchs, you know, the, the uh, propagandists, the world controllers, as Huxley called them, um, they never abandoned that methodology. There's always been this totalitarian instinct and urge of the oligarchs to rule and control the wealth and resources and people. So they've just tried different ways to roll that out. And it's gotten um, more and more sophisticated, and the '60s whole new age thing that happened—you know, MK Ultra, MK Ultra. You know, my understanding, and I don't really know that I don't have an actual source for this, um, and I really should find it. MK Ultra. You know, it wasn't—it wasn't the the limited hangout that we so many people think. Oh, yeah, MK Ultra is—that's when the CIA used. Drugs on people unwittingly in prisons, or they had the prostitutes give it to people and it was, you know, trying to use LSD for truth serum or, you know, MKUltra was a much bigger thing than that. MKUltra, my understanding is that it stands for mind Con- ultra mind control. You know, in German that's spelt with a control is spelt with a K.
0: Okay.
1: This is, this is, this is uh, an adoption of a uh, program that began in, during, well, we're, for our purposes, I like to just look at the post-war period, you know, roughly my my lifetime, our lifetime, you know, given, you know, maybe 20 years before us, what's what's really happened, 20, 30 years before us, this predicament that we find ourselves in, and this predicament that we find ourselves in, I look at the beginning in the post-war period. You know, the, the the Nazis were the ones that introduced psychedelics and mind control, and then they were recreated in this country in the post-war period through the the successors to the Third Reich, you know, our central bankers and um oligarchs there, the Wassons, the create the CIA is basically, you know, of course, the um that's what happened to the Third Reich. That became the and a whole new form of warfare began to. Take place in America it wasn't tanks and you know bombers and stuff. It was a psychological warfare to undermine the integrity of the American psyche and the independent spirit. That was a, that was a real thorn in the side of the of the oligarchs. This uh, you know this this American mythos of our anti-authoritarian. <clears throat> You know that began in the Revolutionary War, the victory of the of the colonists over the over the monarchy, which um, you know I I love that spirit. I I love that spirit. Fraud, though it may be another one of these things that we look back on and go, oh, they were all just Freemasons and they weren't really winning. And they may have been appearing to separate from the monarchy, but they were setting up their own oligarchic structure here, and the. Democracy and all that stuff was just another bit of fairy dust that they threw in our eyes. But I'm okay with that story right now, and especially I'm you know, living here now. That that shot heard around the world, where the Revolutionary War started, is just like a mile from here. Mm-hmm. And that that spirit, the independent American spirit, I I love. I'm loving that story right now. And this will this will bring us into Bobby Kennedy too.
0: Do you see that story still being uh, um, alive today? Like, where, where is that spirit now?
1: Well, that's a, that's a hard question. That's a good question. And it's a little tricky to answer because, um, again, here I am in in, right, right in Concord, Massachusetts, where the Revolutionary War started, where Paul Revere's midnight. I, I make this trip all the time. Paul Revere's midnight ride ended right down the street. And um, there's still that kind of spirit here in in Concord. When you you go to the post office or you go to the cafe, and people like they they happen to be wearing masks when they say it now, and it's so it's a little bit trickier to get it across. But um, it's a weird combination of uh, you know trust in America um, and that spirit, but with wokeism. So it's a little it's a little. You know, confusing here now.
0: Well, and but, it also seems that, from my perspective, it seems like wokeism is acquiescing to the government, to the oligarchs, to the corporations. It seems like completely antithetical to any sort of rebel spirit, any sort of true kind of American for the people.
1: Yeah. Well, they the, the, hook, the hook to wokeism, the the way they hook those people is this is good for everybody, you know, where we, you have to like, there's a real, there's this unprecedented, terrible virus going around and you got to do this. It's like for everybody and just like sacrifice your, it's a sacrifice for everybody. So it's, it's a tricky little mind play. And I enjoy, I enjoy, <clears throat> I enjoy um, not getting upset about it and just finding conversations where I can find the commonality in our, um, you know, kind of noble American history, our anti-authoritarianism, and you know, like, shouldn't you be questioning authority and not just submitting to it? And have you really looked at the data? And you got to like pick those conversations carefully. Yeah, I think. So that's what I do. Um, <clears throat> and so, um, yeah, it's a really, it's a really complicated psychological thing we're in um definitely what do we what do we do about it um uh you know for me i i think about this all the time because as you know my my place burned down recently and i've i don't know what to do i have a i have a certain freedom do i want to like roll up my sleeves and be a warrior and fight and try to educate and um and endure all that all those consequences or is the thing like, again, this is, so Thoreau and Emerson were also here, the American Transcendentalist Movement, where it's not, you know, don't fuck them. They're already f- corrupt and a mess. Like, just go a little further out West and set up your little, my, my new favorite phrase is sane asylum.
0: Oh, I we, like that.
1: Yeah, and that, you set up, we're going to set up a little sane asylums and just leave them alone because, you know, ultimately <clears throat> this realm, back to Buddhism, is dukkha this is the realm of pain and deception and suffering and you can get liberated from it by following the eightfold path or any other you know smart behavioral system <clears throat> you can't change the realm it's always going to be dukkha so the idea of like trying to get a just society Mm, that's probably not gonna happen.
0: It's well, gonna... well, hold up. Let me ask, I'm I'm curious about that because there's a theory that we're living in a satanic inversion, right? And that like a lot of truths and like nature codes and divinity have been completely inverted from this kind of satanic takeover, or iconic takeover, whatever it is. So it has me wondering like, well, what would this realm be without that? And was the idea of the eightfold path and the maya and the dukkha and all of that created within the satanic inversion? Do you know what I'm saying? Like I sometimes wonder. I hear that like China's been fucking around in Antarctica with the ice wall and par- and I'm like, "Good, because who are we to decide that no one on the planet is allowed to go there and what is really going on there?" So I've played with this story like what if China like undid whatever this like kind of satanic overlay is allegedly in Antarctica and liberated all of us? And would the laws of nature still be the same here? Would gravity work the same? Like what would this realm be without that? And how much of the the sort of like precepts and rules of this realm were set up within that enslavement construct? Do you know what I'm saying?
1: Well, I just barely know what you're saying. It's brilliant and really exciting. (laughs) And I think it's, you know, I think that's, that would be a beautiful chapter. (laughs) I'm looking, I'm looking at this, you know, sometimes I binge watch Netflix programs, you know, what CIA Uh,
0: CIA network.
1: (laughs) Well, just because, you know, and just, they're so clever how they keep you in the way they're written, like, oh, now you're supposed to, it's one o'clock and you should go to sleep, but you're going to click that next episode. And like, what's the next episode going to be? You know, I love that. Like the, the Chinese are like taking apart the infrastructure. I mean, I, I love that. I don't, you know, again, I'm a phenomenologist. This whole language of um, Satanism and demonology, <clears throat> you know, that's that's kind of new to me. Yeah. It makes a kind of psychological sense, you know, especially when, looking at current events, you know, our 9-11, I mean, the, the, there's just like an otherworldly, demonic audacity to that sort of, you know, brash attack and deception and the thoroughness of it, how they got the, the whole media and m- m- uh, most of the population just acquiesced to something that's become so completely absurd. It's like, a, it's, it's like, individuals of the same species don't treat each other with that sort of ferocity. And so you you kind of have to go to otherworldly, demonic, extraterrestrial, reptilians. You know, I don't know. I used to laugh at David Icke, but, um, you know, everything that he says that I know, I agree with. Then he throws in these reptilians. Well, I haven't personally, all the reptiles I know... I love them. I love the snakes and the salamanders and, you know, they're beautiful creatures. I don't, I don't know that yet. I'm, I'm open to it. I'm cleaning out my pineal gland. You know, I have apple cider vinegar every day and I take chaga and these things and I'm trying to, you know, kind of wake up and see through this matrix in that way. But I haven't, I don't know. I haven't had that experience yet. So to me, it's just fascinating.
0: When I lived in Topanga, which was, such great living um and i lived in this beautiful community at the very bottom of topanga and pch which was amazing because we would just like run across the freeway and swim in the ocean oh, there, was
1: um, there, the um the um what was that called there was like the in the seven system
0: oh in the seventh ray
1: yeah
0: That's higher up. Yeah, that's That's up in the canyon. But what was amazing about this was like, you live in Topanga Canyon, you're not walking distance to the ocean. This community we were. And where I lived, we, you know, it was a a lot of outdoor living, outdoor bathtub, beautiful gardens. We had a lot of rattlesnakes. And we would catch the rattlesnakes ourselves. So like the way we did it was like, I would hold our jumbo trash can. My boyfriend would like, had this fruit picker to like grip it behind the head. We had a system. He'd toss it in the trash can. I'd, you know, put on the lid and we would always relocate them. But sometimes we wouldn't relocate them immediately. They'd like hang out in the trash can for a few hours before we decided to drive up the canyon. So I spent a lot of time observing the rattlesnakes and just... You know, they're cold-blooded. They will eat their young. You know, I spent a lot of time contemplating, like, what is with this species? And then many years later, I wrote a book for a spirit shaman. Um, And that's an intense collaboration to write someone's book for them, let alone their biography. And he told me on multiple occasions, I'm a composite being. I'm half reptilian. So he told me this himself. And I can tell you from a number of experiences I've had with him, that is true. (laughs) And there is behavior that can only be attributed to some sort of reptilian thing, because it's just crossed so many lines that I'm like, this isn't, like, humans wouldn't act like this.
1: Yeah. I, I hear you. I do... Sense that with certain people sometimes. I'm not going to name names here, but I almost am. But you no, know, I, I see it. I see this, yeah, you know, the pure selfishness, a cold bloodedness. Yeah, see like there's this, um, you know, you probably know the, the body language, um, phrase duper's delight. No, oh, you should look into that. You'll love that one where people that have this, um, like George. B- okay, so here's a reference. Check this out George Bush senior. Is eulogizing Gerald Ford in this church in um, DC. And he's very solemn. And he comes to this point and he goes, You know, we could always count on Jerry. When times were hard, he always came through. Like when that lone, crazy lone gunman killed our president. And he can't help it. And he just bursts into a little sinister little grin. And then he kind of covers it up. But that's a classic example of two things: the reptilian and the duper's delight. you'll You'll enjoy d- digging into this concept of duper's delight. And there'll be certain people that you'll see, they're sociopaths, which is sort of what we're talking about. That's what a sociopath is like a, you know, a diseased psyche that just has no empathy. You're, you're every and they're sociopaths. Or or not they're just working for their reptiles you know like a snake isn't a snake isn't a rattlesnake isn't misbehaving when it bites you it's doing what it's programmed to do you know you're not supposed to go there they warn you you know and so you know some I try I tried to figure this out to have a certain compassion for some of these oligarchs that are pulling these stunts like well they're just they're just another species. And and somehow we have to figure out how to share the planet with them, you know?
0: I mean. I'm fine sharing the planet with them. And I think it goes back to like the old, you know, like the the tale about the scorpion taking whatever the animal was across the river and then at the end he eats it. And it's like, I trust sociopaths to be sociopaths. I, you know, close members of my family are sociopaths. So I understand the game, like, You just have to trust them to be what they are. I think the issue is taking the wheel of our Earthship out of the hands of the sociopaths and letting those of us with more compassion and more expansive consciousnesses who are attuned to the greatest good for the most amount of people let us drive our ship and let's put the sociopaths in their right place. Like I had a really deep long conversation years ago with someone who was high up in the military and she was saying we share the planet with psychopaths like there's no cure for the psychopaths it's good we put the psychopaths in the army because we give them a safe place to murder you know instead of out on the streets where there's no sort of boundaries or like etiquette around their need to destroy life I, I mean that's not I feel how you're receiving that. And it's a mixed blessing for me as well, but it's just like, that's fine. We have sociopaths here. Let's just not let them be in charge and tell the rest of us what to do.
1: Yep. Yeah. Or like I said before, it may be, and I'm not fatalistic, it may be that they're already so in charge that the idea of taking the wheel away from them is, I'm not going to do that. I just want to go find a little spot of the earth that they haven't gotten to yet. And just create my own reality with my own community with confidence and experience that once we leave this um, planet and we die, there are all the other planets. It's a very big universe with lots of other star systems where we can be reborn. And this one, I had an ayahuasca vision like that that was really convincing. That we've tried over a period of time to like wrestle control from these more demonic Creatures,
0: <clears throat> are you coming back? Ah, uh, not yet. Can't hear you. Can you hear me now? No, I can't. Okay, um, I think it's me, it's chaos up here at the moment. Um So thank you for your patience with this. But I I did hear everything that you said. And I think what it comes back to, which you and I talk about offline all the time, is like, where is our responsibility as Americans, right, to stand up for the constitutional republic, to not leave it um, to the sociopaths and to take ownership and agency? Are you there? Yeah. It's it's
1: so funny when you, when we do freeze and what the expression that we're like, you're pausing on this thing, like take control from the (laughs) sociopath. This might be a good segue into, into RFK.
0: Yeah, let's do it.
1: Because as you know, I love the guy.
0: I know. And still, do you feel the same given what's happened this past week?
1: Uh, I kind of took a, a media fast this past week. So I don't know what happened this past week. Okay. I, I do what happened. I mean, I know the, the Israel thing was a little like, hmm.
0: Well, Max Blumenthal deconstructed it really uh-huh. meticulously point by point. And it's, you know, I, I want to I hear about your your love of RFK Jr. specifically and of the Kennedys, but it's, it definitely leaves a bad taste in my mouth that he would lie (laughs) to that extent. Um, and so brazenly, without the expectation of being fact-checked, it's just, it's very confusing to me. So yeah, I'd love to know your take on RFK Jr. You know, all.
1: So, um, it's confusing to me too. And I'll just go to the beginning because, um, I have a real connection with the whole Kenny the lineage and and the importance of his uncle and his father in my own life and and in our modern American history for the last whatever sixty years. you know, so I got just personally or autobiographically i i got very, took a very deep dive into psychedelia in the early 1980s and then I began to realize that um they weren't as enlightening to most people as I had hoped they would be mm. and uh began to sense this sort of op thing going on and it was just these drugs unless in rare circumstances again this is hard to say because there are a lot of circumstances you and my, a lot of my closest friends you know have found extremely valuable healing kinds of enlightening experiences from them but but where the, the general thing anyway, i started to back away from it <clears throat> and then somebody gave me um a copy of the Zabruder film and i and i I'd never really attended to that so i'm just a i'm i'm um still in my twenties, and somebody gave me the Zabruder film and I looked at it for the first time, and I realized, oh my god, you know i mean I figured I didn't really, I never really attended to the Kennedy assassination. But then when I had this just evidence before me that obviously he's shot from the front. And then I read every single book there was on it. And it just activated. I mean, before that, I just loved the Kennedys. My mother, I'm from I'm from Boston. My, you know, he's he was from Boston. When I, I used to go to, in fact, I almost went there last night, where John Kennedy was born was like a shrine to me. And I would just feel this chills up my spine. And then as I, you know, his 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 use of psychedelics is a very, very dramatic moment in history and a real inspiration to me because the the effects of psychedelics on one's political awareness, the unit of experience, that's where I was going for. I just thought if only the right people could have these unifying experiences, they would no longer be sociopaths. They would understand the interrelationship of everything. They, The corporations wouldn't pollute the streams. They would know there that stream, tatva masi, there could be a, an awakening. And that's yeah. what I, and the Kennedy was an example of that because we've probably talked about this on your show or we will, but it's a really important moment in history when when Mary Pinchot Meyer, his lover, got the psilocybin from Leary and turned him on. And then I just studied the whole assassination and all the books and I tried to wake people up. And that's when I first began to formulate this concept of the psychology of non-perception. Like, how did we let this happen in our society where the guy's shot in the face in broad daylight and everybody just goes about like the moment of, it just like nothing happened, and then is and then Bobby the same thing, and um, that was huge for me. And all those assassinations and the conspiracies and like why are people so fucking stupid and and apathetic and inflated and still poisoned with this concept of American exceptionalism? And we live in a country that's obviously conquered. It's not the land of the home of the brave and it's the land of the deaf, dumb and blind. And I like, where, how did we wake people? It was a big thing for me. And then 9-11 really is never going to happen. And it's just a period of somber renunciation of. And so then um, COVID was kind of a tent, paying a little attention to, to Robert Kennedy and his environmental work. <clears throat> I knew he had a very troubled life and it was unfortunate I never really did dialed into him. And then a couple of years ago, um, I'm invited to a small dinner party that's mm-hmm. uh, around him, a group of very cool people in the Bay Area, venture capitalists and celebrities. And just there were just really 10 of us at a beautiful home. And I was, it was an honor to be invited. And, um, and he comes and it's, we're gonna talk about propaganda and COVID and what can we do about this. And I'd been paying attention to him at that point. I'm like, oh, my God, this guy is speaking the truth. He's got this raspy voice, which is sort of symbolic, I think, of our voice. Mm -hmm. That's kind of been impeded and blocked. But the courage, he's like speaking through the resistance. And he comes walking in the room. I've met a lot of uh, very famous celebrities and hung out with them and had, you know, he comes walking in the room and it was, holy shit. And it's just like his aura and his presence and the spirit of his uncle and his father. I was just, Whoa. And then he came up to me and I shook his hand. I said, I'm Robert Forte. And he knew, you know, he'd done some intelligence on who was coming to the meeting. He said, you're the, you're the expert on psychedelics. And I said, yeah, I guess so. And he pulls me out of this greeting line and he, takes me aside and he's, and we have this, you know, like exchange of how important this is a subject for our generation, for him personally and for his family. And, um, and we just really connected. And, um, and then I spent, you know, an evening with him and a rapport about all kinds of very intense stuff. Like the fact that COVID is not just, this is not a random event, but this is part of the whole deep state Nazi Third Reich thing that killed your uncle and your father and John Lennon and King and, and uh, 9-11 and this is just a continuation, you know, and he's like, we're on the same page.
0: Thanks so much for tuning in to this latest episode of Word Up with Danny Katz. I am reminding slash thanking you to and for (laughs) clicking that subscribe button for liking, for sharing, for commenting, and for leaving some kind words as a review as you are authentically inspired. As you are receiving any value from my podcast, as you dig it, as you listen regularly, consider supporting me on Patreon and or Locals, where for as little as $5 a month, you get access to all of my second half podcast interviews, as well as oodles of bonus content. Your support really goes a long way in supporting me as a journalist and an independent content creator navigate her way through... A really crunchy time in terms of free speech. And as you are wanting to learn more about my work in the world, my books, my products, my quantum languaging, coaching, and consulting, you can find me at dannykatz.com as well as quantumlanguaging.com. And if you're not down with a membership patronage platform and want to send me one-time donation... You can use the Bitcoin link if it actually appears on your podcast listening platform. You could also send me a one-time donation by way of PayPal at dannykatz at or by way of Venmo where my username is Sadie Bloom. Again, your support means the world and makes a massive, massive difference when it comes to continuing to share this work with the world. Thank you for sharing your sacred attention with me. Thank you for remembering that you are omniscopic amazingness and for having a rocking day. See you next time, superstars.